Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome back, true believers, to another astonishing, spectacular, amazing episode of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. And now, uh, halfway through, I'm wondering if astonishing was one of them because I didn't intend on doing the other uh, adjectives. <laughs> and then now I'm like, well, now there's just astonishing just in there randomly. Uh, the voice you're currently listening to is the returning voice of TJ Patrick after a not nearly long enough hiatus, quite honestly. Uh, the world is still a smoldering trash fire. Um, but we're going to ignore that for today and for largely the rest of this month as we actually talk about a thing that both me and my partner actually like. Speaking of my best friend, partner, and co-host, I am joined as always by the, and I, god damn, I really have no fucking choice, the Harry to my Peter, really. It's, I, I had a whole bit, and then you called me Harry. Um, what? What other thing am I gonna do? You could have just uh, done one, and now I'm now I'm pissed. I mean, if you didn't want me to do one, you got this is communication. I was gonna do the whole important. like Spider Month, Spider Month. It's a month with extra legs, but no, not anymore. You could just do that. I just another did. week. Um. <laughs> No, now I am that. not only that, but based on the topic today, I'm the worst Harry. You really are the worst fucking Dane DeHaan, fucking God. What a miscast. Yeah, oh that's God. not me at all. Sir. What a miswrite. At least, is that such a thing? Can we coin that term, a miswrite? You know what it is. You know what it is. No. It's I'm I'm Peter and you're the kid with the windmill. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Ow. Fuck. <laughs> That's how it felt when you Jesus called me Harry. Right. <laughs> so you're telling me in the movie of your life, I am a bit character that only shows up for about three full minutes of screen time. I mean, you said that, not me. <laughs> I do. Oh, what, what the hell else am I supposed to think? Anyway, we're talking about the two and only two. Uh, Thank God. Amazing Spider-Man movies. Ugh. In... I really don't like this troubling precedent that we're setting now. Every time we come back in September, we got to talk about shit. We have to talk about awful movies. Listen. What the fuck? Listen. These movies are not great. They're, They're not, not as bad as they could be. Th uh, I mean, that's that's a low bar. <laughs> I, I would rather... You tell me what you would fucking I, No, rather. it's mixed. No, it's mixed. I'm sorry. No, it's mixed. <laughs> not non-MCU Spider- breath. Not MCU live action Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, Amazing Spider-Man 1, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Oh, are you just ranking? Oh, yeah. you're ranking them. Yeah. What were the first ones? The first two Spider-Man. But even then, I don't want to watch them. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Hotman. <laughs> He's not- He's not Pete Spider-Man. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, 
for such an awful show, Friends really is quotable. Anyway, uh, that is not going to be the only hot take I drop in this episode. I pretty much guarantee it. Anyway, what what else? What the fuck else is new? For those of you who are new to this show, I think I drop a hot, spicy take almost every episode by this point. Like I am. His mouth is his butt. To... I what? And his takes are poop. <laughs> My takes are not poop, sir. How dare you? You insult my honor. Uh, <laughs> you sully the... Well, I can't say the good name. Uh, the overly complicated name. <laughs> Flash Thompson. That's the segue. Okay. Flash Thompson. Uh, should we just get Do into we have it? any history, history with these? History. Do we have any history with these? Um, my history is that I used to know not that much about movies, and now I do. <laughs> I because do. When I saw these, when I saw these movies, they were just Spider-Man movies, and then apparently everyone hated them, and I was like, all right. Um, because I understood that, like, yeah, they're like grittier movies, and I thought even at the time I was like, that's kind of. I mean, that's kind of an overrated way to take Spider-Man, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Other than that, I thought they were movies, and now that I'm much smarter and older and world-weary, no. (laughs) These movies are not good. Did you see them both in the theaters? Uh, Yes. Uh, Actually... By the time I had seen the second one, I believe I was reviewing movies for a radio station. Ah, okay. I did not see the first one in theaters. I did not see the first one in theaters. I saw the second one in theaters. I feel sorry for you. (laughs) Sorry for me. I mean, I don't know. There's just this thing of like, well, I didn't see the first one in theaters, but I'm definitely going to see the second one. And then the second one is Amazing Spider-Man 2. And oh, no. Well, uh, <laughs> the, the second one was right around my personal decree of I'm not going to get upset over franchise movies. Uh, uh, like that was right in there. And that's good timing. Yeah. <laughs> for the movie. Um, but yeah, no, I just remember. I just remember this was like full full swing. The MCU is now like the Avengers has happened. Really? Well, has the Avengers happened at the first one? Yeah. The, Same summer. I don't know. The second one is 2014, so absolutely. Yeah. So it was one of those moments where I was just, it's just like, oh, these movies are not getting like a great response, and the MCU is getting an excellent response, and people are glomming onto it, and it's growing. And so it's one of those moments where I was kind of like, this isn't really a competitor, which doesn't make sense because it's Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is the character from the source material that is the poster boy of the source material, and yet you're losing to, like, Captain America. So, like, this is (laughs) not good for them. (laughs) Damn. What? (laughs) No, this would have been the same year as, this would have been the same year as uh, Winter Soldier. Um, 2012 and 2014. So, I know, I distinctly remember Amazing Spider-Man 1. Amazing Spider-Man 1 came out the same year as Avengers. That Yeah, I know, no, I you're remember. fucked. <laughs> um, and Amazing Spider-Man 2, yeah, that would have been deep into phase two of Marvel. So, All right. Anything else? You ready to start? You ready to start with Assistant Stage Manager 1? I have it abbreviated as ASM. <laughs> I, I know. 
<laughs> look, we look. I may not be as big of a theater nerd, but we both did theater. <laughs> we met in theater. <laughs> that one is explicitly for the listeners we have because I think they'll appreciate ASM. <laughs> um, if only it was rated R, then it'd be ASM. So, Amazing Spider-Man One. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Uh... It's the it's the origin. Like it's the origin, except instead of Green Goblin, it's the fucking lizard. That's the that is the story. And instead of Gwen, instead of Mary Jane, it's Gwen Stacy. Which and better choice? Of one old guy death. There's two. Better choice for Gwen Stacy over MJ. It's kind of I the mean, only that's... better choice they made the entire time. That's debatable. Um, it just kind of it just depends on how you do it. I think just objectively, yeah, they just handled Gwen just hands down, without question, better than they handled MJ. But that's also because they just handled MJ like a wild trout you picked clean from the river. It just <laughs> slipped out of your hands like a bar of soap and then plopped back in as your niece and nephew laugh at you from the shore. Like... That is so specific. <laughs> that is so specific. <laughs> I thought you were just going to end with the salmon thing, and I was like, you're right, she's a fish. But no! <laughs> that is so specific! You're insane! I am insane. Um, th- These movies, Spider-Man in general, brings out, brings out a lot of me, but also, talking about these movies now is going to really... It's like... It's like if you took... The outrage from Attack of the Clones, and then combined it with the what the fuck are you doing of Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and they had a bastard baby of putrid horridness that was this movie, and I can't fucking stand almost any part of it. Like... It is a struggle to come up with things that are just like, you know what? Good job. Like, I just, I feel like Hancock. I feel like Will Smith and Hancock just going, good job, robotically. Good job. Good job. Well, there's really only about four things that these movies do well, collectively, both of them. And I think we'll cover them. And that's that's my opinion. I have four things that this movie these movies do well. Um, I guess I might as well look at these fucking notes. So you did take notes. I was getting scared. Um, <laughs> um are we gonna track look, it bit by bit? Because I got bit by bit shit. Look, Amazing Spider-Man one. I took notes because I thought that it would be kind of average, and I was wrong. Oh no! And then Amazing Spider-Man two. I just fucking didn't bother. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I will cover. I Based on my notes, I am sure I will give you ample opportunity to respond. Um, so. Yeah, it'll be pretty obvious why it was kind of pointless for me to take notes on Amazing Spider-Man 2 based on some of the things I will say about this movie and the next movie. So. Well, all right. Well, I guess we can get started with uh, the, uh, the movie. I, don't know, I, I must have cycled through so, four different accents. Of dead parents. Yeah, uh, I, I just had to laugh at the return to spider title cards. Um, 
because we talked about that way back in like what was that episode five episode four um uh, long ass title was, cards yeah it was either three or five because it was around friends yeah long ass title cards <laughs> yeah we were the we were the fallout boy of the podcasting world um <laughs> Uh, so I have here the score and intro started promisingly and then hard shifted into edgy. I'm immediately worried. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't really understand what they were trying to accomplish. And it just it just spoke to it just, you know, you get a you get such mixed opinions nowadays about like. You should do the comics. You should do it like a movie. You should do it like a comic. You should do it like a movie. And we'll go back and forth forever. But this is very clearly a set of movies that just did it like movies. Did they have visuals to acknowledge the comics very specifically? Sure. But, like, they just did it like a movie. Because the only way you could look at Spider-Man as a source material and go, you know what it needs to be? Batman Begins is if you're doing it like movies. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Why? Because you like Batman Begins? No, I, God, no. But like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I have to occasionally remind myself Batman Begins even exists. Um, let me let me rephrase it. It's not about doing it like a movie. It's about doing it in reaction to the movie industry. Yes, it, this is a very reactionary take on Spider Man, and that is never good. It's never yeah. good. MCU, spoiler alert for future episodes. Um, Wait, what? I, this is an opinion I don't. I didn't know you had. What I, I will save as much as I can. Though there is going to be some bleed for this month. It's very hard to kind of like keep in any one lane because it's all the same character. Um, there, there's going to be times where I compare this studio's take to that studio's take to this actress portrayal to that actress. Portrayal. It's a, it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> and then we get a movie where we talk about it all. Um, <laughs> oh boy, are we gonna? So, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's try, let's let, let, let's let's at least try to start. Okay. Um. So my next note. I've been trying. I know. <laughs> I was just talking out loud to myself. Um, so ignoring the whole, you know, Peter's parents stuff for now, because we will circle back. Uh, they decide to open with a whimsical game of hide and seek. But everything is tense. <laughs> like, bro, why not actually just have a happy young Peter Parker happily playing hide and seek and then juxtapose it with him finding the strewn about study and things then getting tense but things are just tense from like jump it's like the most awkward insanely like high stakes game of hide and seek you'll ever see a child participate in that isn't in like some horrid saw movie like it's just like 
where are you? And there's like tense music. And it's just like, oh no, I have this strong sense of foreboding. My father's glasses. I sure hope nothing happens to my father. Oh no. And then he goes into the study and it's a mess. And he goes like, I don't want to play this game anymore. And frankly, Peter, neither do I. I don't want to play this fucking game either, Mark Webb. What are you doing? What are you up to? I'm so upset, Sony. How? Why? Why have you done this? Why do you continue to do Uh, this? TJ, 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 TJ. It's the first scene. Um, Is it possible for a child actor to look too much like Andrew Garfield? (laughs) See, I knew you were getting like so heated that I was like, I'm saving this nugget. I'm saving this little joke. (laughs) But like, especially the fact that like, to, like Andrew Garfield is British, and that kid is British. That kid looks so British. He looks so much like Andrew Garfield. He's so British. He could be Liam Neeson's stepson in Love Actually. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I can't remember if the Paramental Retcon is like from the Ultimates comics or not. It's not. I've great. heard it's from Ultimates. And like, I'm kind of like, that's. I don't know why people thought Ultimates as a whole franchise was, like, interesting. Um, Everything I have ever read or heard about the Ultimates comics, I'm kind of just like, I have zero interest in any of these storylines. It's the the edgy version from the 90s and 2000s where, like, the blob eats wasp and, like, incest happens with the Maximoffs. It's not great. And I'm like, why did anyone think that it's like that one? That's the one we're going to base our movies off of. I'm like, no, what is wrong with you? The only good thing to come out of the entire Ultimates universe was Miles Morales. At one point I was like, oh no, is this going to rival Rise of Skywalker in terms of notes? We'll see. Because I didn't keep track of these ones. Uh, (laughs) My next note is Jesus. This goes from zero to 60. So fucking fast. Yeah, we were like 11 minutes in with his parents thing. (laughs) Yeah, I actually maybe would have preferred peppering in the flashbacks, like spread out through some of the story, just so we don't have this... No, they don't do that. Like, so we don't have this weird escape and destroy evidence montage, and it's just weird. That has nothing to do with this movie. No. It has nothing to do with this movie. Even the next movie, I'm like... Yeah, it's like a footnote. Okay, guys. <laughs> all it which, does, all it does, it sets up a plot point that doesn't need to happen in the next movie. Which, stick a pin in that, because I will bring it back up. Um, plus, if the stuff is supposedly so precious, why is it all just out in the open in a room with an easily accessible door to the outside world made of fucking glass, Richard? <clears throat> Why was it so easy for somebody to like Dick Parker fully like fucking black cat their way into your fucking house to the point where literally a child had to accidentally stumble into the most important room of the house and go, uh, hey, dad, um, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, and then literally the next note is just, this is so dark for no reason. Yep. That's like the, that's like these, both of these movies. Why are you so dark? I wouldn't say that. I would not say that the second one is that dark. 
it's just like the second one is just tainted from this one. It's like you can't yeah. quite you can't course correct too much. So you still have the baggage from the first one. Right. From the jump. And then also baffling to say Ugh. Anyway. So I don't have all that much from here through like us meeting Dr. Connors, besides the fact that he uses Bing as a search engine. Um, and that I like, I never had a problem with Peter being attractive. Like that was one of the things that they, that people were like, Andrew Garfield's way too attractive to be Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a fucking nerd. And it's one of those things where it's like, I think you and I have talked about this. Like nerds can be attractive. Also, Peter Parker pulls like in the comics, Peter, people like Peter Parker, Peter Parker's, Peter Parker's very attractive. Um, so I never had a problem with it, but my thing is that like the movie with his, carrying around the skateboard all the time and his moping and the way that other people like treat him. It like, it makes you realize that the movie is trying to make him more of an outcast, but like in his actual behavior and when he's not being the target of bullying, he's just really fucking normal. Like he's very normal in this movie. He's a normal kid. Uh, Okay. Where, Where do I fucking start with this shit? So, I tried to do this one beat at a time, because there was a lot back to back to back. For one, you could have at least had Peter wear glasses to start, like... Oh, yeah, he, like, explicitly has contacts, and they have a scene to to show that. Because it's kind of apparent that he puts on glasses to kind of remind himself of his dad, and I'm like, yeah, you could have just led with that. Like, you could have just did that, you know? Um, Also, it just helps to add that visual change. There's a reason that the Sam Raimi movies have that infamous scene where, like, Toby goes to put the glasses on and it's blurry and he, like, takes them off. Like, that's a visual change. It's like a demonstrable, like, yeah, things are different now. He's affected by the spider bite. Second, the whole attractive woman comes over like, hey, Peter, you take pictures, right? Could you take pictures of my boyfriend's car? This whole exchange. Yeah, I'm like, who who is who thinks at all that is real? Well, it's just like, because again, for those of you who are fairly new to this podcast, like, I approach things from more of a logical bent, and specifically from, like, analyzing the screenwriting in, ter- in certain things. So I notice authors' hands a lot. And it this just kind of reeks of male entitlement a little bit. Like, attractive girl comes up to Guy, and how dare she have a boyfriend? Watch a pu- Oh! You want me, a nice guy, to take pictures of your boyfriend's car? I think not, madam. How dare you? You hire a woman or a gay man to do that. You do not hire me. I am virile. And it's just like, okay. All right, guys. I mean, for the record, I don't think Peter has that reaction. No, it's just like, I can see why this scene is included. Because it's to show that, like, women don't, like... Women aren't interested in Peter Parker. But again, 
like Tom Holland does this pretty well. It's like, no, people like Peter Parker. Peter Parker is an attractive kid. So, yeah, the script is absolutely doing the thing where it's like, girls don't like him, except for this one girl who's absolutely the best girl. And it's like, I mean, if somebody has taken the time to realize that you're, you like photography and are good at photography and then asks you to do photography, there's like nothing wrong with that, also. Yeah. Like, it's just the framing of this is just like, oh, hey, Pete, I might be interested. Psych, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, you could tell men wrote this. Jesus, you could tell men wrote this movie. Uh, third, Peter skating in the school is not sacrilegious. However, and this is when I was hit with a huge bolt of epiphany as to why I think... Andrew Garfield is a tough sell for Peter Parker because skating in the school doesn't seem like a Peter Parker thing to do. It seems like a Harry Osborn thing to do. Yeah. And I immediately was like, Andrew Garfield wouldn't be so much better as Harry Osborn than Peter Parker, actually. Okay. Like, I if get the, it. If this movie was more or less the same movie, but just also had Harry Osborn in it as just another character. It's like, it reminded me of Social Network, where it's like that difference between Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield, where they're both nerds. They're both like kind of, you know, they're cut from the same cloth a little bit, but Jesse Eisenberg is one way, and Andrew Garfield is another way. And it reminded me of, like, that seems more like, I mean, ignoring the fact that, you know, that version of Mark Zuckerberg is kind of like, oof, like, ignoring that. It's a thing of, like, yeah, that's more the dynamic that you would assume that Peter and Harry would have. It's just that, like, Peter's kind of like, you know, the social outcast, kind of awkward, more logical, more of a tinkerer and inventor. And then Harry Osborn, you know dabbles in that as well but is more like the entrepreneur the businessman the socialite and it's like yeah there's a reason andrew garfield was really good at that role and now taking that energy of that actor and putting it in peter is kind of like i mean yes the the circle peg fits in the oval hole but there is a probably a better way to do this i don't think any of your takes are unfair i think the comparison that I more so make is less about like, oh, who should be Harry? Like, I, I've never thought of it that way until you brought it up. My whole thing is that like when this was coming out and when I was making the evaluation pre Tom Holland, it, it was very much me acknowledging that like, I think Andrew Garfield at the same age as Tobey Maguire was when Tobey made those movies is just a better actor. So I think he can do more, which is why like, I think he gets away with it better. I mean, and also I think I think give Andrew Garfield a better script and he does a lot better. Honestly, I think both if we just take Sam Raimi Spider-Man and this Spider-Man, both movies need better scripts. The yeah. difference is that Andrew at least comes across like yeah, he's a good actor though. He just has a bad script. Whereas Toby is kind of just Toby. Yeah. So it's that thing of like yeah, you can directly compare these two and go like, uh, I can tell one of you are, is just handcuffed. And yeah, the other pretty one, much. You know. 
Well, and the uh, the irony is that, like, we'll talk about this with No Way Home. Like, I don't think it's a mistake that they underplayed Toby's Spider-Man in that. Because I think if they let him be as full as he was in the Sam Raimi movies, they'd be like, uh, uh, no, this doesn't work. So, like, yeah. Whereas I think Andrew got... I think Andrew, because like when we if we look back on the politics of all this, like they canceled those movies before telling Andrew Garfield and like Andrew didn't know that he wasn't going to be Spider-Man anymore, I think until he was in the middle of an interview for another movie and it like fucking crushed him because he really loved being Spider-Man. And so it's one of those things where like bringing him back for the other one was a moment for him of being like, man, I get to do this thing that I didn't want to stop doing. And so he then has a better script and a ball with that shit compared to this. Anyway, we're getting away from the point. Uh, the last thing I have about that one quick, like, establishing, establishing, I guess, sort of montage of Peter. Uh, the couple making out in front of his locker is the actual best introduction of Peter. Like, although they kind of do it fairly quickly, even still, like, I feel like... You know, if you give that same scene to Tom Holland, Peter Parker, it just it will hit slightly funnier because I don't know, like they allow Tom Holland to be funny on his own and the other two Spider-Men are reactionary funny, like the funny thing is supposedly their reactions Instead of like Tom Holland is actively making jokes about the situation at hand. Um, yeah. And Andrew Garfield has a little bit of because of this like darker, more emotional characterization. He very much gives the sense of like he can very much be like, hey, guys, like move out of my locker. Blah, blah, blah. And then he'll walk away and he'll kind of give this energy of like, OK, fuck you, which is not Peter Parker. It's very not Peter Parker. And I'm going to bring up a thing in a second a little later that it's just like you can tell when certain things are just like that's not Peter Parker like it's really you either know how to write Peter Parker or you kind of just don't and anytime you give a script to like you let somebody that just doesn't really get Peter Parker to write that script it's just gonna hurt it doesn't matter how good the actor is or even how good the surrounding movie is. If you don't know how to write Peter Parker, it's the same thing for Bruce Wayne. If you don't know how to write Bruce, Batman as a whole suffers. It's just, that's just how it is. Um, School bully scenes have actually, factually, literally never been good. Yep. Um, I don't know why they keep coming up. Nobody and likes to, them. To hit it now, so I don't have to hit it later. Like when he then has his powers and is messing with Flash, it's just boring. It's the, like him doing keep away with the ball and then and then smashing the hoop and everything and smashing the backboard and everything. It's just boring. I was like, oh, you included this because it's kind of obligatory because you did it in the last one where you use the powers to embarrass your bully and, and feel superior. And and then like Uncle Ben says that to him at that point. He's like, oh, so you feel superior now? Huh? Like, you feel like a big man now that you did that. Get it. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're lampshading a little bit. Hey, you gave me a term. <laughs> TJ taught me something. <laughs> but, you know, I learned something today. Um, <laughs> also, and like, su- and like superior, Flash- superior Spider-Man. Uh? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I was going to make that joke earlier. And then you called me Harry Osborn. I- um, 
Well, not only that, like, it's one of those moments where I'm like, I know that we don't have time to establish his relationship with everyone at that school, but when Flash knocks over the paint of the other girl, I'm kind of like, why couldn't Peter be like, oh, hey, Sally, I'm really sorry that he did that to you. Like, can I help you later? Like, let him be endearing and kind to people around him. And he probably knows who that girl is and is probably kind to her. But no, he's got to be an outcast. Also, what's up? Hey, yeah. Also, this isn't a note, but I did notice this. What's up with the whole like flash? You did that on purpose. You personally manipulated the basketball to roll and spill this paint. Yeah, no. I like and I'm like, huh? No, what? No, where's this coming from? (laughs) Where's this going? Um, Is there a functional reason Peter and Gwen can't already be friends? Like, what's up with this? No, there literally is none. If they've known each other for that long and they go to a high school that is very clearly a arts theater high school. It is Midtown or not arts science. Science. Yeah, it's Midtown Science High School. It's a theater school, which also on that note, people make fun of the current Flash Thompson because like, yeah, he's a doofus in the MCU. But on the flip side, and they're but they're like, he's not supposed to be smart. He's the bully. And I'm like, this Flash also goes to a science high school like. Okay. Whatever. Also, um, you don't have to be dumb to be a bully. Yeah, that's actually very, like, kind of the point. Like, it's is I, that Flash is entitled. That's so late. It's very lazy to just have your bullies be dumb. I will always go out of my way to go like, okay, yes, I don't like bully characters. I don't like bullying scenes, but at least these bullies are intelligent. Like, it's like it's always a treat when bullies get to actually, you know be relatively smart or have more than a single character trait of yeah like gorilla like (laughs) it's funny this actually (laughs) might be i mean despite the fact that he's yeah because joe mangiano or uh joe manganello is fucking yeah in the previous one just an absolute brute and this one at least like when peter's like when ben dies and flash tries to like comfort him like there's a moment where you're like oh this bully is not so terrible and one of the best things about flash in from the comics is that he really is a huge fan of spider-man and this one i think does it in a more subtle way than the other one does the other one makes it into a joke but like the moment where they have a connecting moment over spider-man is like oh these two could actually like surpass this someday when they're adults (sighs) oh boy anyway we've covered a lot of the (laughs) a lot of the high school shit okay so and then weirdly they do kind of bring up a flash like earlier i was like i think we should scatter out these flashbacks and then they have a random flashback and i'm like what so why didn't you just so why didn't you just keep doing that uh this movie's very frustrating from a critical lens it's just like why don't you just do things that just make sense Like, TJ, uh, we're never going to get through this if you keep doing that. <laughs> I know. But, like, uh, Peter uh, finds his dad's briefcase, and he was like, oh, there's nothing in here. Literally the next scene, he's dumping out all of this shit that's in the briefcase. Why have the line? Why have the line? The, oh, there's nothing in the briefcase. And then literally the next scene is you taking a bunch of shit out of the briefcase. Like, it's maddening. Maddening, actually. Uh, I'm going to skip that note because it's very detail-oriented. Okay, so this scene with Ben and Peter. Fuck's sake. So 
again, critically, there's a shit ton of things that I can pick apart of like, what is up with the script? What is up with the direction? Because Ben comes in, picks up a Rubik's Cube. I'm like, oh, this is a great opportunity to slightly, like, very subtly show that Peter's a very intelligent person in a very shorthand coded film way that classic thing of like you mix up a rubik's cube and pass it to somebody and then they fix it and by the time the scene ends it's like oh yeah they don't do that there's also no reason ben should pick up the rubik's cube nothing comes of the rubik's cube so literally what's the point um he supposedly kept the name kurt connors away from peter doesn't explain why other than oh he used to be close to your dad then he wasn't Okay, Peter seemingly has no opinion on it. So, again, what's the point if there's no reaction from the other character? Uh, the scene ends with Peter saying Ben's a great dad, which you could, I guess, argue it shows an above average emotional intelligence because I guess maybe Peter picked up that he should say something like that to Ben. But... Also, there's literally nothing in the film to suggest that Ben has done anything to earn such a compliment. And then there's the picture of Gwen. That's just like his desktop background, which, first of all, cringe. So I guess accurate to high school. But second, with the utter dearth of relationship they have, it reads more as creepy than anything. And you've now done that. That is now your fault. Because Peter and Gwen have no real relationship, him having her as his desktop screensaver is actually weird now. Instead of being kind of cute and endearing a little bit that, you know, he has a crush on his friend. But it's kind of, you know, they don't really touch on it in a very obvious way. It's just that, like, oh, uh, yeah, that's my friend my friend my friend Gwen no they don't do that they rob themselves of that and just oh my god why are they not friends everything is more weird after this after the fact that you don't make them friends even going to I'm skipping a little ahead even when they see each other in like the Oscorp facility it's not like two friends kind of like secretly trying to have a conversation of like, what are you doing here? I look, I'm not trying to like, you're going to get me in trouble. I said, no, it's not this like cute thing of two friends, like, you know, covertly talking. It's now Gwen being freaked out that this random dude, she's never had a conversation with for more than five seconds is just here at her job lying about who he is. And she reasonably is like, are you following me? And it's it, weird. Why did you make it weird? This is the main relationship in the whole movie duology. Why did you do this? Yeah. <laughs> Are we at Dr. Kurt Connors being introduced yet? Because I'm lost. Uh, Very quick thing before we, like, this is at Oscorp, but it's right when we get there. Uh, Peter just kind of waltzes into this corporate building. And then the receptionist, or, like, the front desk woman is very reasonably like, uh, excuse me. And Peter Parker, upon hearing somebody address him saying excuse me, goes, what? It's a very small thing. That's not Peter Parker. 
I'm sorry. Peter's not the type of person to go like, hey, uh, excuse me, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> Peter Parker is too polite for that bullshit. Peter Parker, like, if you say excuse me, he's the type of person you're like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Wait, whoa, what? Did I step on you? Did I step on your foot? I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be here. Let me go. I, like, that's way more Peter Parker than just like, are you talking to me? How dare you approach me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but now we're in Oscorp. Okay. I feel like this movie is trying to endear me to Kurt Connors with his overall motive of like curing Parkinson's, yada, yada, yada. But then he says the phrase, I'm not a cripple, I'm a scientist. And I just I went, wrote that down. Oh, that's uh, ableism and eugenics, baby. Oh, I wrote that down. It was like, oh, there was the, the it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, no, the writers have no idea how that sounds to somebody who like actually understands like that uh, that ableism exists and eugenics exists and like later he gets there he very clearly gets there but he was there the whole fucking time because you wrote him this way because you had no concept of making him not that way yeah and it's not even a thing where like it's not even clear that it's like no he was always this way we knew it's like you didn't know the way you had him written and the way you had him speaking you, you definitely, in the way you had the characters viewing him, you had them going, yeah, wow, he's right right now. He's going to be wrong later, but he's right right now. And it's like, no, he's not right right now. I literally have, have it written because he opens with like a little a joke, a, a knowing joke. He was like, Dr. Connors, for those of you wondering, I'm a Southpaw. <laughs> also, Dr. Connors, I'm not a cripple. It's just like, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I thought Two-Face was a Batman villain. Um, <laughs> also, the Rodrigo scene is very odd. Yeah, the whole, like, guy gets ripped away and nobody even checks to be like, maybe this is the person. Also- Or are you talking about when Gwen- uh, No, no, no. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that when the dude is dragged out of Oscorp, um, kicking, literally kicking and screaming. Um, it's also a thing of, similar to, like, how- it just makes everything weirder and more complicated to not have Peter and Gwen, Gwen just be friends. There's no reason Peter can't just be an intern at Oscorp. Yeah. Like, why if it's did their you first make, day, why did you make this more complicated? Because legitimately they spell it out in the movie. Oh, you mean like Peter, the character like in the script should just be a intern. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, they spell it out like Gwen goes, oh, yeah, he's, like, second in our class. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) It's Peter fucking Parker and Gwen Stacy. They are, like, infamously number one and number two, whichever way you want to look at it, in their respective... That's how they are as characters. That's why it's weird that they're not already friends. They're the smartest kids in their class, typically. And it's, it, they don't, they have classes together. It's not like you established that Gwen Stacy is in like AP honors classes and Peter's languishing in just like kind of regular class. No, 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 no. They go to the same classes at the same fucking school. Like, what? and Peter is Peter. Like most of us already know that Peter's pretty fucking smart. So it's like. Why could why did you write this thing where like Peter has to steal somebody's spot? You just have him be an intern. 
Or you could just have it be a tour. Like, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not that complicated. Because it's not, we didn't need Oscorp to be that high security for us to understand the stakes. It's Oscorp. We kind of know. Also, you can just kind of show the menacing stakes gradually after Peter bumps into that one guy and he looks at him sideways. Like, that's right. really all you need. Yeah, it's um, not hard. Also, they're a genetics lab and it's Spider-Man. It's gonna be menacing. <laughs> it just um, is. <laughs> I wrote down, uh, it's so funny because I can feel the writers wanting to accomplish multiple things during conversations, but they don't quite know how to do it without having characters pull huge 180s or hard pivots during conversations. Like, the conversation Peter and Gwen have after Connors leaves is just so weird. Because I have no idea how Gwen feels or how to feel about how Gwen feels. And Peter does a terrible job at just, like, talking to anyone. And it's like Gwen has to go from, hey... I know you, I'm familiar with you, and I like you, and then hard shift to, look, I have a responsibility, this is my fucking job, I can't have you dicking around here, you're gonna get me in fucking trouble. Like, it's like, look, there is a way to do both of these things at once, and I I really hate to be this guy, but if you can't do that organically, that is literally your job as a screenwriter (laughs) so what's up guys what are you actually paid for um also speaking of this is literally in the same scene when uh he bumps into that guy who does look at him sideways i'm not saying peter parker can't say yo but like pre-bite pre-confidence pre-superhero peter parker saying yo it's just it's just kind of weird and I feel like Andrew Garfield, Spider, like Peter Parker, says that a lot. He says yo a lot. And it's just like this weird thing of like, okay. Again, I'm not saying Peter Parker can't say yo. But I'm imagining the platonic ideal of Peter Parker saying yo. And it's never not with full dad energy. Like, it's never genuine. I can't. It's just weird. <laughs> um, this is also a plot thing. Um, Peter supposedly came to the Oscorp building to talk to Dr. Connors, I'm assuming. Because he's, like, researching his fucking dad, and his dad knew Dr. Connors. And then he sees Dr. Connors, and he actually has an interaction with Dr. Connors, and then Connors leaves... And then Peter just starts fucking wandering around and following this one dude because he has the same symbols as a folder his dad had. Peter, you just saw Dr. Connors. Why are you not following Dr. Connors? It's just, it's so weird how they like, well, Peter has to wander around this strange facility, go into forbidden doors, and that's how he gets the spider. And I'm like, you do not have to have things be that fucking difficult. Like, you could just have Peter bump into a thing and spill something. That's almost what happens in the Sam Raimi one. Like, 
not even bump into and spill it. Like the spider just straight up gets out. That could happen. <laughs> like, it's just weird because so many times, so many things in this movie are like they take five steps to get to a place that literally they could just take one step to get to. It's just odd. It's very odd. It's very odd. Um, I think the power discovery scene is weird for a few reasons. Like, A, it's just weird. The whole, like, ah, the sticky hands are taking her top off. I hate <laughs> it. Yeah, I hate it. But also, it's weird because it's like, this is clearly a very old subway car. This is a New York thing coming out. Um, it's a very old subway car. They don't use those anymore. So it's very clear that they rolled a subway car into a place where they could film in. And not only that, and so like it just it looks weird it looks old it looks bizarre it's way too dark in that subway and not even like from a from a this is what subways are standpoint it's like it's just way too like dark of a scene shot wise and that's probably because they couldn't get the subway like set because it looks like it's in a real subway i don't think they could get the subway car out of a tunnel where they would then have to film. So anyway, it, the whole thing is just like, this is just a poor choice to do it this way. There's just no good way to do this. And then also he's from Queens and they say next stop Coney Island. And I'm like, Peter Parker has no reason to go to Coney Island. Those are very far apart. Hours apart. It's just, uh, I, I agree. Like the whole transformation, like discovering power sequence. It's just, it's a, it's a lot. It's a or lot. like a few scenes later, he catches a fly with his hand and the way his hands position. It's like I was like, is he going to eat that fly? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want him to eat the fly now like, just to see if he's like, do I like flies fly. now? <laughs> do I like flies now? Is that the part of Spider-Man that I'm going to be like? Literally, they mentioned that in fucking a homecoming. <laughs> so do you eat flies? What? No. <laughs> That's literally an interaction. <laughs> it has. <laughs> you just cut. You play that scene. You just immediately hard cut to Andrew Garfield looking at this fly. <laughs> <laughs> just zzz, 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 his head bobbing around. <laughs> I'm going to eat that fucking fly. Um, <laughs> There's plenty of like what if spider-man versions where he like gets feral and starts behaving like a spider so like that's there's plenty there's plenty of that that exists um and also like when he is when he's completely out of his mind trying to find food right after the bite and he is just taking all this shit upstairs i know that the director said hey play this like like you're a normal person who's really high in front of your parents and you just need all the food. And Andrew Garfield went, I know exactly what that's like. And I'm going to do that really well to the point where if this wasn't a Spider-Man movie, that's exactly what the scene would be. This is a young actor who's very talented. Who's trying way too hard. It's just, it's very, it's very, it's very apparent that Andrew Garfield can play Peter Parker. He just doesn't get to. <laughs> <laughs> that's going in the description um <laughs> oh my god um so here's 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 a here's a here's a here's a more like rambly thing that i wrote down because like well I, okay that's self-deprecating it's not very rambly it's just longer than most of my notes because 
it's a problem that I am starting to actually have with the movies. And I this was me not even done with the first movie. This was me about like half an hour into the first movie. And I'm already at this point. Gwen could have actually been used for much more in this movie. In both movies. She could have known about the bite. Like when she bumps into Peter after he goes to the exhibit, she could just know that something's up, know that he got bitten, and they share that. Would have also been better if they were friends. She could have helped him out, and they could have, like, set up, like, you know, testing out his abilities together, and it would have fleshed out both of their characters as well as their relationship. Also, it's no coincidence at all whatsoever that immediately upon Marvel getting to do Spider-Man, they immediately give him a best friend. Why? Because Peter Parker always works really well when he's bouncing off other people. That is just a that's just a Peter Parker thing. Like Peter, when he's, like, doing shit alone, is about as good as the story is. So, like, that stupid for you Philip Phillips montage in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is dog shit. Oh, well, I'll I'll come back to that. And therefore, like, it, it, it can only be dog shit. Like, it, that's, it's just, there's no saving it. Is this looping back to his whole sequence where he's experimenting, where he still has the skateboard in his hand the entire time? It's just a thing of, like, it could have been cute. It could have been really cute. Like, remember in Sam Raimi Spider-Man where Toby is, like, practicing with the not-at-all brand placement Dr. Pepper can, and he's, like, doing trick shots with his webs and shit? Like, that's one thing. But now imagine... Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy working together, like, doing obstacle courses and, like, setting up things together and talking about the geometry of, like, well, if you do this, you could do that and you got to go from this angle and then, like, figuring it out. It could have been really cute. It could have been. Well, TJ, that does exist, but it's called Ms. Marvel. Um... (laughs) There, I'm thinking of the power finding scene in Ms. Marvel, and it is exactly that. It's two friends figuring it the fuck out. Um, but the th- my thing about the whole montage of him discovering what he can do with his powers and getting the hang of stuff is the presence of the skateboard. Again, you said it's not sacrilegious for Peter Parker to ride a skateboard through the hallway or to have a skateboard. It's that the film insists that I know that he skateboards, (laughs) right? Because he doesn't need a skateboard in a scene where he's in a warehouse experimenting with his powers. He doesn't need to be using his powers to improve his skateboard ability. But the movie really wants us to know that this Peter Parker can skateboard. And I'm like, I don't need it. I definitely don't need it. I don't need it. (laughs) Except I will not scream I need it at the end. I I still don't need it. Um, You know, you know what terrible thing this movie has disturbingly in common with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man? 
Why? Is I want you to cast your mind back to the scene where Toby Peter first climbs a wall. Uh-huh. And then I need you to also recall this skateboard testing the power scene with Andrew Garfield. And notice that they both have horrid screams to camera. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Because, again, it's the same thing of like, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't depict Peter Parker enjoying his powers. But, like, it immediately makes me think of that scene in Into the Spider-Verse where he jumps, the glass flies, the perspective shifts, the world's upside down as he's falling down. And it's that scene. Now imagine Miles is screaming at the top of his lungs with delight. That's different. <laughs> That's di- it's It's all about the context. They have these weird moments where it's like, They want us to feel like Peter is a normal kid because, you know, that sentiment of like, man, I, I, normal child, if I had powers, it'd be the soup, like the most awesome thing in the world. And I'd love it. It reeks of that. It reeks of like normal person realizing they have powers and it doesn't feel like Peter And it reminds me, and that makes me think of, like, No Way Home when the three of them are, like, they come up with the plan and then they run and jump off that scaffold and they're all screaming and whooping because they're they're finally, like, they're starting to get back into the groove and they're starting to work together. That has context. It's context because it's Peter's. It's or it's context because it's Miles and like it makes sense for those characters to do that. Whereas these feel like the Sam Raimi one and this one, when they do that there, it feels artificial. It feels like. All right, Andrew, now now scream like a bald eagle. All right, that's a wrap. Like. Um, and then you could tell where I was, um, emotionally because the next note I have is I'm just skipping now. This is just bad. Everything is bad. Everyone is bad. Yeah. I also just want to, I want to acknowledge that we have not gotten past this movie takes its damn time getting us from the start of the movie to the moment where he's like starting to fight crime. It takes a long time to get there. Um, thanks. I hate it. Yeah. There's an entire scene where they introduce the gas distributor just so that they can do it. He's like visiting Kurt Connors again and they have another side conversation. And right before it, they're like, hey, what you looking at, Mr. Connors? Oh, this thing distributes gas to a mass scale. And it's like, huh, isn't that a weapon that could be used for mass destruction? (laughs) Like, A, it's stolen from Batman Begins. And B... Uh, yeah, that's a weapon of mass destruction. If you can distribute a gas of any quality that is not air to the human population, that's bad. Also, minor quibble. He says it's now it's here collecting dust. No, now it's here on display. That is literally not collecting dust. Collecting dust would be hidden in a warehouse somewhere. It's not. No, (laughs) no. 
Because um, it okay. can't be because of plot. Positive thing. I think something that, because I think that the choice to not repeat this Toby mistake of, uh, you know, biological webbing. Um, I think that the invention of the web shooter is one of the better scenes in the whole franchise. Well, I mean, it's difficult to compare because this is where Sam Raimi got into a little bit of the Tim Burton Batman realm of like, I'm just going to make some shit up and right. turn, instead of like, <laughs> no, he has fucking web shooters. So dude. true. We actually, that's true. We don't really get to compare it because by the time we learn, we meet Tom Holland, Spider-Man, he a, has already invented it. And then when he gets to reinvent it, it's with Stark tech. So like, yeah, actually there is no comparison. This is the only one, which is why it's, good in my opinion not not like it's not the i think it's decent like as a scene and it, I, I now i'm realizing it's like oh no it's good because it's the only time we've ever seen any peter parker do it you know also another reason why he also didn't invent it you know also why i was very much pitching like gwen should know and they should like go through like figuring out his powers and everything together is because this is another way to like further establish like Yes, Gwen is very smart. Peter is also extremely smart. If, like, they're working on this together and, like, Peter maps out, like, oh, and then the web shooters can go like this. And it's him, a smart person, showing another smart person what he has in terms of an idea and them going, wow, that's really smart. That's such an easy thing to do in film. That's such an easy thing. Literally, the Avengers do that when they put Bruce Banner and Tony Stark in a room together. It's one of the first things they do is like they just have smart people validating each other's intelligence. It's like, oh, you you figured out the thing? Yeah, I figured out the thing. You haven't figured out the thing yet? It's like, no, I've been working on this other thing. You know what? I haven't figured out that other thing yet, too. We got to work on that. It's like this is very basic stuff of like, how do you show a character is smart? How do you show their, that a character is compassionate? How do you show that a character is funny? It's like one of the easiest ways to show that a character is smart is establish that another character is smart and then have them comment on that character. Like, that's just pretty easy. But, like, I bring this up because Peter, very disturbingly, just straight up goes to Kurt Connor's house directly and is just like, bleh. <laughs> And then just casually throws out an equation that Kurt Connors, adult professor, yeah, right, has never done. Like he's like, "How did you figure this out?" And Andrew Garfield's like, "I don't know. It's a fucking lucky guess." And it's just like, "God damn it! I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe that you're smart." We gotta, we gotta actually fucking move because, like, we are way too deep into this to be. I, You'd be surprised how sweeping my thoughts are on Amazing 2. But, like... Okay. Um, yeah, everything with the argument, everything with the fucking milk, the take a penny, leave a penny, everything with the robber, everything with the death, none of it is natural. All of it is unnatural. I hate all of it. None of it invests me at all in what's happening. Which is unfortunate because I think that as actors, Sally Field and Martin Sheen are the best acted Aunt, uh, Aunt May, Uncle Ben we've had. I 
disagree. Really? Because it's it's purely just because I'm like Martin Sheen and Sally Field, I just feel like they are Shakespearean actors acting out fucking write a plays. Which only you and I will get. <laughs> I think people can make some inferences based on the language here. Um ge- like genuinely, it feels like if they had a good script, yes, sure, I would agree. But they don't. And also, I just I genuinely think Marissa Tomei's Aunt May is just a very well done Aunt May. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that. I just think yeah. it's Sally Field. Again, it, it's it's there's a thing about Sally Field being like, I think, just the right spot in terms of like age to the original. I mean, I always hated the original. I don't know why Aunt May is old enough to be his fucking grandmother. I I think that's weird. Right. I get that. Um, That's why when everyone it presents like, a very specific view of like the elderly. Yeah. It's like everyone was freaking out that like Marissa Tomei is like, quote, too hot to be Aunt May. And I'm like, she's in her 50s. What? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like the same age as Tony as uh Robert Tony Jr. Like, haven't there been multiple plots in the comics that Aunt May like is with a supervillain? Like, Aunt May gets a fucking round. Like, why can't she be attractive as a woman? What is this? What is this Oedipal bullshit that you're pulling right now? <laughs> Where like. I don't know. Aunt May's too attractive. I think that's weird. Yeah, and I think that your elders have lives outside of you. I'm sorry. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> she should only be raising a child and doing nothing else. I'm like, mm, I think that's a you thing coming out. Uh... <laughs> but TJ, she's poor. <laughs> they are poor. Um... Also, that brings up a thing that I don't want to get into, but Midtown Science like Academy sounds like a slightly expensive school. Yeah, it doesn't look that nice, does it? <laughs> well, no, it's not that, but it's just like, it's a thing that they're like poor, that Peter's like poor. Like, how does he get into this school? There are scholarships available for that stuff. I suppose. It's just always kind of... Because he's number two in his class. Just always coming. I mean, we gotta move on. I know. I literally only have one more note. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and it's literally, why does Gwen ask Peter out? Tell me. I want you, Trevor, Trevor Catalano, to tell me right now, why in God's green earth does that woman ask that man out? Spiky hair. That's, it's not funny if you actually say irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, just I guess because she, because they do kind of Emma Stone again. I said that there's a few good things about these movies. Emma Stone is a great Gwen Stacy. She's a really good Gwen Stacy. She's I think just she's genuinely the best character. Yeah, in of both the whole franchise of these movies. Um, and I note that in the second one. Yeah, like we would be remiss if we did not cover this and just acknowledge how great Emma Stone is doing Gwen Stacy. You can have the ups and downs of Andrew Garfield. He has a lot more movie to fail. She nails every scene she's given, even with a bad script. Um, And so like she's playing from the moment she first saw it, sees him. I know Emma Stone is a talented enough actor to be playing at the fact that she's like, I don't know what's up with this guy. 
pretty cute, though. So, like, I didn't have a problem with her asking him out because I was definitely I was watching the actor. And so I'm like, yeah, no, it makes sense. The like the actor's very clearly attracted to him. She's been attracted to him the entire time. It's just a thing of like, you know, that Beauty and the Beast problem that some people have in that, like, if you don't do that story carefully, it will seem like Belle is fixing the Beast. It yeah. has to be a very careful dance of like Beast has to try has to put in fifty percent of the effort, and then Bell has to then meet that fifty percent. If it seems like she's doing more than him, it's a bad look. That's what I feel is happening here, where it's like I feel like so often Peter's not really doing anything to be charming, or like for them to have like any kind of bond. It's just all awkward. It's just all awkward energy. And then Gwen as a character sees that and goes, wow, that was really, that was really, that was really weird. That was a really awkward interaction we just had. Anyway, want to fuck? Like, it's just, it's just like, okay. I, I, I get the story has to go here because it's the story, but like. I think in this particular note, you're being a little hard on it because of all the other things you don't like. No, it's just genuinely, I'm like, Peter Parker is more fucking charming than this. <laughs> I'd say Andrew Garfield is charming fine. I think Andrew Garfield is charming. <laughs> okay. But I, I mean, don't yeah, think I've this said that Peter is. I've said that about. Yeah, I think put a different actor on it. It doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Dennis Leary talks about when they're getting into it at dinner about the the cut, the Spider-Man versus the cops. And he's like, what do you think? We just sit around with our thumbs up our asses all day. And I went, yes, Dennis Leary. That's exactly what they do. Peter Parker said, fuck the cops. Um, well, so. He does work with them an awful lot, though. I know. I know that's not how Peter Parker actually feels because it's a kid's comic book and they can't do that in the society we live in. But also, give me... I feel like Miles could. Yeah. Oh, no. And I, I think there are stories with Miles dealing with that. I feel like there have to And be. also, you know, the funny thing is that, like, the person who deals with that, the two characters who deal with Fuck the Cops the most are probably, the three, I should say, are, like, Daredevil, Punisher, and Captain America, funny enough. Yeah. I can't speak to Punisher, but like, yeah, I think Captain America most often is just like, all right. Hey, guys. you know these people who are supposed to be the representative? They're not. <laughs> they fucking suck. All right, but yeah, I'm done with notes. Uh, I still have plenty, so <laughs> go on, go right um, ahead. I actually, I know that you like gave all these other options, which I like about her knowing he's Spider-Man much earlier. I do think that as two actors, her discovering it and then having their first kiss is kind of cute. Um, I actually kind of liked that. Um, and he's good with, I forget what kid it is, but like he, he becomes Spider-Man and then he has a moment with another kid. Yeah. Uh, and he's like good with the kid and it's like, the, the the key here is that like and maybe this is something where if you had taken more notes you might have noticed this like Peter has to like once Peter has started dating Gwen and has become Spider-Man thoroughly he's less annoying like he actually is a less annoying person at that from this point onward I and I said literally this Peter has to become Spider-Man to not be annoying I don't think that's a thing of me not noticing it because I didn't take enough notes I think that's just a difference of opinion yeah right <laughs> Um, yeah, but my notes go pretty, 
pretty quickly. Um, I think the CGI fights are actually decent. Like you can tell they're CGI, but I think they were visually pleasing. Uh, and the library moment, I'm skipping way ahead. The library moment with the cameo of, uh, of Stanley is good. I like the way that it's shot. I think it's actually cool to watch. Um, I like that Gwen gets to be, again, one of the testaments to the honor that they gave to Gwen Stacy. They very clearly took their time with Gwen Stacy because Bryce Dallas Howard played a bimbo and that's not who Gwen Stacy is. Um, they definitely took their time with Gwen to the point where it's like, great, cool. Gwen gets to be a part of the solution, not just a damsel in distress. Thank you very much. Um, without Gwen in this finale, the whole movie is even worse than it was. Um, it's the redeeming part of the kind of end here. Uh, the moment where he like gets injured on the way there and like has to like recover and get to Oscorp is like a little exacerbated. But then when the cranes line up for him to swing, I am, I, I once again, I'm like, yeah, nope. Something that's always missing from more updated, uh, versions of Spider-Man is the New York aspect. So the fact that the kid that he, the, the kid that he saved, that's the kid thing. The kid and this kid is the one in the, in the car that's falling. That's what it yeah. is. Um, I had to remember because I keep equating it with the kid from the second one. Um, and the fact that that's the kid's dad, I'm like, okay, cool. I actually, I think that's fine. I actually like that. Um, who puts liquid nitrogen in on the roof of a building? No one. Don't that's ask who. Questions. Don't ask questions <laughs> in a third act comic book movie fight, Trevor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think one of the great parts of these two movies, and I think the special effects department would agree with me because they very clearly cared more about it than anything else, is the swinging. I think that the swinging sequences, whether it's during times of like joy and sunlight or in darkness are some of the best parts of this movie and some of the best Spider-Man swinging around scenes in all three franchises in all three versions. I think that this CGI Spider-Man swinging around looks better and is more dynamic than the other two. It might be the only dynamic thing in the films. Um, quickly, uh, like very, very, very quickly backtracking to the wound. Um, does he or does he not have accelerated healing? Yeah, because he gets shot, right? He gets accidentally shot. He gets capped. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, the cop had his 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 thumb up his butt, so that's why it happened. <laughs> he wasn't enough of a good Samaritan. Um, he was an okay Samaritan. Uh. God damn it. Um, so I honestly thought that the fight was fine. It was yeah, fine. It's fine. Um, I don't, I don't like the creepy promise. <laughs> like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Wait, just stay, just stay here. You're gonna be okay, Peter. Peter, Peter. I have one thing, just one thing before I die, before I croak, before I leave this motor coil. Okay, you're speaking a lot for a guy who's about to shut up and listen, Peter. Here, it's important. Okay, okay. What? Please, just don't, just don't fuck my daughter. It's just like, no. 
That's not what he's no. saying. It, That's not what he's saying. No, he's trying to make sure Gwen doesn't get hurt saying. because of Spider-Man. <laughs> it's not what he's saying. You know it. Don't, I'm not saying it's good. Don't, don't do things with your dick in my daughter. And she's like, okay. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> I know you're doing a bit, but stop. Um, it's just, because it'd be one thing if he was just like, don't don't let anything happen to her or like protect her please because i can't anymore it's all i want is for her to be happy and healthy and you get you got to you got to do that. i'm not bullshitting you actually have to do a good job of that it's like it'd be one thing if he was just like protect my daughter please and then peter interpreted that as we can't date that's one thing but he basically is like don't date my daughter. Can you not? Please? Can you not date my daughter? <laughs> with that exact tone, with that exact inflection, it's like, Peter, can you not date my fucking daughter, please? <laughs> no, but you have to do it with a New York accent because it's Dennis Leary. <laughs> Peter, can you not date my fucking daughter? That's Boston. <laughs> is Boston. <laughs> you live you live in New York. <laughs> yeah, but it's not as common as you'd think it would be to actually hear people with New York accents. Um, I'm surprised. I never once heard a Chicago accent when I was in, actually right? in Chicago land. <laughs> uh, on that note, I still maintain I don't miss the funeral, obligatory funeral scene in every Spider-Man movie prior to Homecoming. Um, no. I don't miss them at all. You, I, no. We don't need to go to the funeral for most people. Gwen Stacy is the only Gwen Stacy and Uncle Ben are the only funerals we ever need to go to. Um, Even and, that debatable. And then I said, "Oi, these last fifteen minutes is drawn out and dramatic, where he's struggling with his ability to date Gwen or not." Like this is, I think, more than the actual final words. It is combined with this. It's combined with the last fifteen minutes of just like, God, I just. You're so hot, but your dead dad made me promise. And it's just like, <laughs> can this not happen? Well, he also does that thing Spider-Man that I don't like. Movie. He also does that thing that this is one of the Andrew Garfieldisms that I don't like, where he's just like, <laughs> no, can't, can't do it. I can't do it because can't do it. Can't do it. Can't I do, do appreciate it. that Gwen is actually smart enough to just immediately put two and two together. Like, oh, my dad promised you, made you promise. To not date me. It, that's right. right. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. I do like, there is a valid point. I forget if she makes it at the end of this movie or, no, she makes it in Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's like, so your solution to allow me to be happy and healthy and to live a good life is to make me miserable by not dating me. And then you're also miserable because you're not dating me even though you want to. So... Who wins in this scenario, Pete? (laughs) Like, we're either happy and then maybe something happens, maybe something doesn't, or we're both miserable. And then you are still in danger 24-7, and I could just be targeted by having any relationship with you. So it's like, we might as well bone. Like, Jesus. This is the same thing with Toby and... Her dad wins. Her dad wins. That's who wins. Her dead dad wins. 
God, aren't there two? Aren't there enough dead dad wins in this duology? Jesus Christ! I know I said that as a joke, but actually, there are a lot of dead dad wins in, the, in these two movies. There's a lot of focus on dead dads. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, at least at least two, which is you know not that many, but it's weird. And Norman. I know that's the two. <laughs> oh, and Richard and. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's I'm like that's a shockingly amount. Every main character has daddy issues. <laughs> and not always with their own dad. Um uh-huh. So here's my thing. Alright, so yeah, let's 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 put a put put an end to this by talking a little bit about the second one. Here's my thing with Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's the wrong story for Amazing Spider-Man 1. That's the problem. It's just like, what do you mean? I think like, first of all, I discovered this while I was talking out loud to myself because I may or may not be neurodivergent. We'll, we'll see. But like, I do this a lot where like, I'll be watching a movie and I'll pause it and I'll start talking to myself and ranting. Um, and I realized something while I was, you know, Dr. Hiding and Miss, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. H- I can't think straight. It's very hot in this closet. Um, I realized something, and that's that a lot of Spider-Man stories really only work with time, with build-up. Some superheroes don't really need that. I would argue Iron Man is a perfect example of, you don't really need a lot of build-up with Iron Man stories. Like, they can be one-offs. Like, Justin Hammer doesn't need to be built up. Whiplash doesn't need to be built up. The Maximoff twins legitimately could just show up in an Iron Man movie, and that would be an interesting thing that you don't really need build up to. You could just backfill the, you know, their history and their tie to Tony, and then that's it. Spider-Man stories, like the really good Spider-Man stories, they need build up. Like immediately introducing Kurt Connors and then just turning him into the lizard and then just defeating him all in the same movie doesn't hit as well as if, like, you know, you had already known Dr. Connors and seen him in one or two movies before and was actually a mentor figure to Peter And then he turned, and then it was actually a difficult fight, not because of strength, but because of inner turmoil. That's the shit that makes Spider-Man stories really sing a lot of the time. Like, you don't just do Venom. You do black suit Spider-Man and then Venom, because it's a thing of, like... It's all one big story. To just do one without the other would feel weird. And... I think some the best th- the worst thing actually let me not put it that way cuz there's a lot of bad things about Spider-Man 2. But one of the worst things that they decided to do in Spider-Man 2 was kill Doc Ock. Please genuinely Doc Ock really works well when he's a consistent like villain that gets to stick around a while. Whether or not he gets build up before turning villain or not. He just works, like, being around, similar to how, like, it's never a good idea to kill or put away the Joker permanently. Like, no. No, because you'll always have to find a reason for him to come back. 
So, it would have been more interesting for me if the first Spider-Man dealt with somebody else, like fucking Rhino, or hell, Electro, maybe somebody like Kingpin, like somebody that... Chameleon. I mean, I guess you're really high on Chameleon. Um, (laughs) He's like, it goes Vulture Chameleon in terms of order of Spider-Man villains. Oh, I guess in an actual canon state? Oh, okay. But like, yeah, somebody like Vulture kind of, yeah, you know, Vulture makes works. sense because it's a good litmus test. And like, or maybe I'm not using that term right, but here's what I basically mean. In a hypothetical Amazing Spider-Man 1, you have his first big villain soon after he gets his powers and he loses the fight and the guy gets away and he's down about it, but he has to like deal with all this other stuff for first and it's like you know there's a lot of story in there but then it comes back around towards the end of the movie where he fights that same villain again but you show how much he's progressed by this time he wins and he puts the villain away and it's like the amazing spider-man one also basically did that like spidey uh andrew garfield spite fights uh lizard i think twice before the last one and he The lizard gets away twice. So, like, it's a thing. And then it would be interesting in the rhino spot of this movie in the beginning, if you had that same supervillain from the first one, and then just, it's it's not even close. It shows how much this Peter has, like, progressed in his superheroing. If, like, the hero, the villain he was struggling so hard to, defeat in the first one it's basically a footnote at the very beginning of this second film like it's a nice way to use your villains while also not killing them because why do you keep doing that or just having them never show up again like spider-man as a like the universe of spider-man spider-man's new york should be lived in it should feel like it's constantly in flux, constantly moving. To have characters just vanish off the face face of the fucking earth is not really how you should do Spider-Man. Because they should come back. Things should be constantly relevant. And I bring all this up because what... Harry. Because Harry. Harry is probably the worst thing to come out of this duology that's not this isn't fair because you're jumping so far ahead i i don't have any notes <laughs> well then hold it hold your pee we're not stopping i yet. mean you could have alluded to you didn't just have to come out and say hold my pee <laughs> hold your pee i'm not turning this car around we are in the middle of wyoming one black coffee. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this movie opens up. We're back on the parents' shit. And here's the thing. It's not It's not that a mystery surrounding the parents couldn't have worked. It's just... It doesn't work here. And it's not the most interesting story to tell. It's really not that interesting. It is like obligatory suspense it's like oh they have a thing and i'm kind of like okay i'll look over there i don't see the thing i don't see the thing they got okay something about roosevelt 
fine, cool, whatever. Where's Peter? Um, but there's also two things. Why does his mom go with? And are is it their jet? Are they leaving on their jet? Are the Parkers rich and don't help May and Ben? What is this scene? Why? Why did it have to happen on a plane? Uh, I feel like the filmmakers just wanted to have a scene where they had a nose diving plane. Okay, this isn't fun if you don't have nose. <laughs> well, I, I'm too polite. I am Peter Parker. That's why I take a lot of this seriously. I don't okay. want to interrupt. Um, but like. One, I think it is canon that they die in a plane crash. So if you're oh, going to depict a, I, I, yeah, I think it, I've heard that before of like, well, they die in a plane crash. So it's like, you know, hey, Arnold. Um, although I didn't see the movie, so I don't know if they change anything. They didn't. Yeah, they changed everything. Oh, God. Okay. Um, but like, I have thoughts on this, but they're like thoughts that interweave. That's why I'm like, for me to take notes on Amazing Spider-Man 2 is to basically keep taking notes on Amazing Spider-Man 1. Because it's like, they, they're they linked. They're joined yeah. at the hip for me. Yeah. So I'll give my big dissertation <laughs> later. Okay. Next I had, oh, Paul, aren't you a little ashamed? I think Paul Giamatti should be ashamed of this movie. I really hope he is. It's not good. He really wanted to be the rhino. But even then, how was that the rhino? When he's driving the van and he's just like, I'm like, how was that the rhino? He's a meathead. He's not crazy. I mean, there are some versions where you could get away with both, but I don't. I just don't think it's this one. Yeah. Yeah. So making leaps and bounds um, to when, well, actually not leaps and bounds. It's the same scene because Max Dillon Wanders into the streets. Spider-Man can save him. And, well, it's honestly a shame that, like, this is a great moment for Peter Parker. He has a genuine moment of kindness where he's connecting with somebody on the street in a way that's Spider-Man-y, that's encouraging to the people of New York. And they use it to essentially push a, a character who's very insensitive off the deep end. And so it's just... It just makes everything hurt later in like a I'm uncomfortable way, because like in the moment, despite like if, if that moment had happened with a non character, a non important character who was just like. Maybe we had been tracking this character through the whole scene and we're only seeing Spider-Man in the background. And this is a girl who's just like really down on her luck, like she's she can't make ends meet and she can't. You know, she's her grades are slipping in college and yada, yada, yada. And then Spider-Man saves her and says, hey, you're my rock. And she, it turns her day around. And maybe she comes back later in the movie to help inspire him after his loss. But no, they use it to, like, make a character, quote unquote, crazy. And I'm like, ah, it's just not it's such a bad idea. It's just a bad it, idea. It is a very bad look. Uh, again, Gwen is the best thing about these movies. And I think that they there there's a scene there's the scene that's supposed to be her graduation dinner. And I have one I have one like note note and then one like, oh, that's fucking weird. Um, it's like him not being able to cope with her dad, despite what he said, even if we never knew what he said, we just knew they had a conversation like 
kid not being able to cope with it is like a decent dynamic to have between the two of them. And I think as actors, they handle it decently well. Um, their relationship like starts off as interesting and then it just like goes away or just becomes disappointment porn until the very end of the movie. Like every like from this point on, every touch point with Gwen is just a source for of pain for both of them, which is frustrating until they make up at the end of the movie and she's about to go to England. Like everything in between there is annoying for their relationship. So it's like you have this really sparkly. I like this relationship at the beginning and this really sparkly. I like this relationship at the end. And in the middle, you just have them like essentially do passing blows to each other all the way around. And I'm just like, and then my whole what the fuck thing is um, they very much established that this is June and she's wearing a pea coat. Yeah. And he's also wearing a coat. Because, you know, you got to got to have that iconic look, I guess. Well, later it's the fall. Later it's the fall. She can absolutely be wearing a pea coat when she dies. Right now it's June. <laughs> oh, boy. I think the whole kid with the wind turbine thing is fucking cute when he's getting bullied and he saves it from the bullies and he looks at it and he goes, is this a, a wind turbine? This is fucking great. You made this. That's really great, man. What's your name? Like that's again, it's those moments where it's like, if you had a giant montage where it didn't, where you dubbed all the spider voices over and inserted that into any of the other movies, it'd be a great moment in any Spider-Man movie. It's those moments that actually like make the difference in a Spider-Man movie. You know what actually, oh my God, that's, <laughs> That should be a test. That should be the Spider-Man test. Can you imagine this Spider-Man doing this scene? That's how you can tell if a if, if a Spider-Man can actually have legs. And you know what I just did? The only one, the only one who can't. It's Toby. Yeah, I just I'm like I can't imagine Toby doing this. <laughs> I cannot. Physically... Toby would be like, "Good job, kid. I'm gonna go fuck MJ." <laughs> What? Harry's fucking MJ. Whoa! I'm gonna go pine real hard. <laughs> Good job, kid. I'm gonna go think about why I can't get what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those fucking movies so much. <laughs> so, okay, back to the bad. Uh, watching Max and Max's life in Oscorp, it just hurts. And, like, watching him with his birthday cake at home it just hurts. And BJ Novak should be ashamed of himself for taking on that role um, as his as his torturer, because I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Um, it's just like he's crazy. Like, that's the entire thing that the script wants us to think. And they want us to feel pity and be like weirded out by him. And I'm like, that's not a compelling villain. I think they think that he's a compelling villain and he's not like he makes you feel bad, but that doesn't make him someone you want to root for or are sad when he like gets the thing happen to him. It like, and I don't know, similar to the way I said they told Andrew Garfield to play like, like he was high. I think they told Jamie Foxx to play like someone who's been struggling with homelessness for several years. To the point where they're like, like being in that kind of a condition, being in that kind of stress really messes with someone's, ability to socialize and be present. And so like, that's the only explanation I can think of as to like what put Jamie Foxx in this position. Cause Jamie Foxx doesn't play those characters. He always, always plays closer to the revamped version of Electro. We got in no way home. 
where he's very much threatening and cool. So, like, I don't understand what, why they casted Jamie Foxx and why they had him behave in that manner. Genuinely, it's like, I don't know much about Electro, but well, a lot of people different- don't. He's he's kind of a like he is a little crazy, but he's crazy in the cackling way, not in the not in the voices in my head way, which both these movies do the villain schizophrenic voices in your head tell, telling them everyone hates them or that everyone else is wrong and that I'm going to kill them. And I'm like, can we I really I'm glad that Marvel doesn't do that now. But it's it's like the one thing that I've could see Electro being is like aggressive, full of himself. Yeah, he is. Which is like, yeah, that's what Jamie Foxx actually got to do later. <laughs> right. Well, not only that, it's one of those things where it's like you could have easily had him be you could have had him easily be chip on his shoulder, dude. Like chip on his shoulder. I'm just a yeah. fucking electrician at Oscorp. I, he didn't even need to be a scientist. He could have literally just been an electrician who gets pushed around by a bunch of big-headed scientists. And then when he has the power, which is what he says later, he's like, I'm going to show everybody who never saw me, this lower-class guy, what it's like. And then he kind of feels like Vulture. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to make him crazy in order All to- All you have to do with Spider-Man villains is make them understandable. That's really right. it. And like- for one thing, most it's like how most Batman villains are businessmen. It's like most Spider-Man villains are scientists. And maybe in the source material, he is a scientist. But like, there's room for or change. science like lab rats. Right, exactly. And I'm like, so like, it di- like, because it's not even, but when you do have a scientist who turns, who turns out to not work out, it's hubris. It's always hubris that brings them to that point. Doc Ock, hubris. Uh, Lizard, hubris. Like, it's always, or even Mysterio, hubris. It's all. It's always their pride. It's always their, I'm going to pursue science so hard and pass the ethical line, and that that's what makes me the villain. And even to a certain extent, Norman Osborn in the first one, but even then, like that's a different story. He's also a businessman, um, a ruthless cutthroat businessman. And so, like, yeah, the fact that like they're playing him as a pitiful scientist to then do a 180 and very much make him a goon for Harry later. Like it's, it's like, Oh yeah, no, this is all over the place and it's not great. Did they learn nothing from Spider-Man three? Nope. They really did just learn nothing. Also further proves my point. The best thing about Spider-Man three is Harry. Because Harry got two other movies. Yep. Oh, no, that's... I I knew what you were talking about when you were saying build. I knew which character you were referring to. Uh, Yeah, because that was one of the happiest... That was, like, one of the things I was not expecting to experience when I rewatched Raimi. It's like, I'm actually really into Harry's character, which I never was before. And it's just because, like, yeah, they fucking took their time. It's so, also genuinely like it's an it's an inevitable story. Yeah. That you know you could have done here. Cause I'm not saying to just straight up have Green Goblin in the first Amazing Spider-Man. That's not what I'm saying, because it would draw too many comparisons to like right. you know, Sam Raimi. But if you did, for example, then you could still like or I don't know. 
Ugh! Okay, I can't I can't get into this without getting into a lot. Let me do one more thing with let me do one more thing with uh, Electro for now, and then yes, I'm actually exactly ready to get into Harry. Um, is that like the Times Square scene is almost good? Like you could, with a few tweaks, absolutely salvage that scene if you because Jamie Fox is being a lot more subtle in this moment, and like he does have motivation to like being on the screen and motivation to be wary of trusting everyone else around him, except for Spider-Man like, and the way that Andrew handles it, like with a degree of cockiness that then ends up like, you know, not working. And like the way he rescues people on the staircase and stops them from being electrocuted is actually interesting. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of set pieces that are interesting in this moment. And the way that, like, oh, don't move any closer or else, like, you're going to hurt some people. And I don't want to hurt people, right? Like, that's a good Spider-Man scene, quite frankly. It's just, like, everything else surrounding it, feeding into it, is tainting the water of it. It's almost a good scene, I truly believe. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing of this duology. It's just that, like, man, you guys were just aiming in the wrong direction. Like, can I be? Can I be real? My headphones made me think you were saying zoology until this moment, and I just accepted it because it's Spider-Man villains. Um, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> that's the that's the episode title. Is like that's the thing with this whole zoology. Um, <laughs> we bought a zoology. <laughs> <laughs> we bought a webhead. Um, so, okay, where do I even? Because so many things are like, it's like a Jenga where you just kind of like, I'm looking. You pull one thing and it's all falling down. No, I'm actually, it's the opposite of Jenga. I'm looking for the one thing I can pull for everything to just kind of like fall with it instead of pulling it individual ones because that takes too much time. Um, Really, Harry is such a subtle like thing that just, they, Harry fucks so much of this franchise up because here's the thing him not being in the first one not even being mentioned in the first one means that you have to do so much catch up in the second one yep and here's the thing there was no reason that harry couldn't have been in the first one yep none he could have just been another character he it could have been established that like we used to be close but we you know, we went on, we went into different paths and that could even Literally, be- you can have them in two scenes. Right. Cause it's this weird thing of like, so much is taking place at Os- Oscorp in the first one to just not have Harry and then have Harry in the second one. It's like, it would have actually been interesting to have already established this character, already established that they used to be close and then went on different paths also foreshadowing what Gwen Gwen will eventually say in this movie where they're going on different paths to have that mirrored thing of like, I've already experienced, I've already experienced this with Harry. I know what it's like to lose somebody close to me just because, you know, they're going in one direction. I'm going in a different direction. That would at least explain why he's kind of a fuckhead. (laughs) He's just like, I've already lost one friend. I can't lose you too. But really, the thing about it 
is that to be a wrestling nerd for f- like five seconds in wrestling you get five seconds no <laughs> in wrestling uh everyone knows it's scripted it's predetermined and people are playing characters so you have good guys faces and you have bad guys heels but occasionally you'll have what's called a tweener which is exactly what it sounds like it's somebody that is typically a face but kind of still doing heelish things and those are some of the best characters even though WWE doesn't always like to do them for some fucking reason. And I think that's what Harry should have been. Harry should have been in this wonderful, ambiguous, moral place of being friends with Peter. But not being super close to Peter anymore. Being the heir to Oscorp, but not really being that loyal to Norman. And... It would have been really interesting if Peter is trying to figure out this mystery and Gwen is trying to figure out this mystery and Harry is trying to figure out this mystery and they all converge. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, because the way it is now, and there's a reason I bring up Spider-Man 3 other than the fact that there's technically three villains. It's that this movie has too much in it. This movie has too much going on and it never knows what it wants to be at any one given time. And then you introduce Norman just to have him die 10 minutes yeah. later. No, this this very much weird. No Way Home showed why you cannot sideline Norman fucking Osborn. But you know what would have been interesting if Harry was this kind of morally gray, ambiguous character you didn't quite know how to react to in the large chunk of the front half of this movie then starts putting together pieces of the mystery and ends up helping out Peter and Gwen. And then at the end, it's revealed that Norman didn't actually die. They just said he did. And it's even more of this morally gray thing of like, Harry is still trying to figure out what's going on with his dad and save his dad. But he's not an outright villain yet. And it's just this thing of like, there's so much that you could do, but not with this actor. And no, because they don't get, they don't get it. They don't get what could potentially make Harry a really interesting character. And as much as we love to clown James Franco, James Franco played Harry Osborn to perfection in basically two and like a third of that trilogy. (laughs) Well, not only that, like in terms of like convoluting everything. So you cast a kid who you feel like can be a rich, like a spoiled little brat. And like, sure. He has some chemistry. He probably got in on a, on a screen test with Andrew Garfield because they have chemistry, but like, that's it. That's absolutely it. So like he got cast because he looks like a prep school brat and that's what they wanted. And, but he can't play a villain very well, at least not this kind of villain. And they have to introduce because Norman's dead and there's no, you killed my father. Spider-Man killed my father because you don't have that. You have to do the whole blood thing, which doesn't make any damn sense. Like I, I, I hard disagree that they have good chemistry. But it's specifically because I believe the best version of Harry Osborn is not spoiled preppy boy. 
I believe the best version of Harry Osborn is... How best to describe this? I don't disagree with you. I, I like I see where you're going and I don't disagree with you. I'm saying this is what they clearly wanted. Right. Um, Because I think the best version of Harry Osborn is someone you could imagine wanting to still go to a public high school, even though he's yeah. going to inherit a billion. This is literally Franco. Yeah. Um, although I think Franco in the first movie doesn't hit it as well. I think it's really mostly the second movie where he has this kind of energy. He has this kind of menacing vibe, but like he's cool about it. Like he's kind of, he has power. He knows how to use it, but he's not quite comfortable. Like I watched the boardroom scene with Dane DeHaan. I didn't buy a word that that dude said. Yeah. Because I feel like to pull off that kind of scene, it needs a certain type of swagger that is non-existent. You can't do preppy boy and do this scene. You need somebody that is kind of like what you imagine a modern, younger, not Jesse Eisenberg, but like actually kind of... Late 20, early 30-something-year-old, like, tech genius Lex Luthor. Where he has this kind of, like, swagger about him where he's constantly in control. He knows what he's doing. He's calculating. He's a bit cold. And he always knows a little bit more than he's letting on. And yet, it should be almost like a switch. Once Peter enters... You see that light come back and you yeah. see them pal around. I like that dichotomy and it's just, it's impossible to get here because like you said, they're doing preppy, spoiled preppy boy. And it's like, no, I want, oh my God. <laughs> I, can't, I did all this talking when the really obvious thing is right in front. I just want him to be Catra. <laughs> okay. All right. That'll make that, yeah, sense Yeah, that's later. really it. <laughs> I really just wanted him to be Catra, and that's really it. I wanted, oh, god damn it! I hate, oh, that's so fitting. <laughs> it's disgustingly perfect how that lined up, but it's like a domino effect where they don't get Harry right, which ruins a significant chunk of this movie, and that character just makes more sense to be in the first movie, even, even slightly. And then Aunt May, I'm just not here for it. I, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. I'm not interested. I think Peter, that she has a good monologue when Peter's doing the family stuff. I think everything leading up to that's stupid. It's just a thing of like, I don't buy that they're close. Oh, I get that. And for me, that's the make or break for, Aunt May. That's why Aunt May really didn't work for me in Sam Raimi. It's just like, I don't buy that there is a strong bond and relationship here at all. Yeah. Like, she seems more like the landlord that rents the room to Peter rather than his mother's sister. That's well, why I really his mom. like... His mom, let's be real. Well, yeah, but that's... 
No, but that's the thing. I think the exact reason I like Marissa Tomei's Aunt May is because she does not seem like Tom Holland's mom. She seems like his aunt. <laughs> yeah, fair. The fun, single aunt that is much easier to talk to than a mom. That You know what's a really subtle thing, not to get too much into MCU because we're going to get there? I love that he calls her May and not Aunt May. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I love it. Because it just screams a sense of form informality that is just like, that's exactly what that relationship should be. It should be a thing of like, we are basically best friends and you help me out with things and you give me a place to stay. Good. Yes. That's why that scene was heart wrenching in no way. <laughs> that's why it worked. <laughs> Oh, man. But honestly, yeah, there's a lot of things that just don't work in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, Goblin doesn't work. Electro doesn't work. Peter is too... For me, Peter's too cocky. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm like, my mentally looping back to another note I had, which goes back to the whole, like, him doing the red... the red yarn across his his bulletin board with his family stuff, which like is picked up for a hot second and then put down and then picked up for a hot second and put down. And I'm like, either make this the whole story or don't do it. Um, but you made a joke about the Philip Phillips song. <laughs> and I honestly, because I hadn't seen the movie in forever and he had just come off of like having a talk with Gwen about like future possibilities in them separating. And the song is literally like, I'm not moving on. I'm going to like keep trying. But then it's about his parents suddenly. Like it's about his parents mystery that he's suddenly engaged with. And I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. I really, I really thought it was like, oh yeah, this is the part where he goes and gets back together with Gwen. And I was like, nope, it's about his fucking parents. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where did this come back from? Why does this matter? Um, and here's the other reason why I harp on on Harry so much in this movie, because you can use the parents. You can use Richard Parker because Richard Parker worked with Norman Osborn. Right. Like, why is this not more of a thing? Well, it's all building up again. We talked about how the blood storyline is stupid. Um, Like, I need Spider-Man's blood. I'm like, hey, Peter, you just reconnected with this guy two seconds ago. Just cut off contact. Just don't talk to him. You don't know this guy anymore. Why do you why why are you suddenly so concerned with him? He has a problem and you're not going to help him or just give him the fucking blood. Who cares what happens? You don't know. What do you know? But all of that's like, why don't you just work with him? Right. And if it doesn't work, then it's like, okay, it's not working. Like let's fix the next thing. Like it's one of those moments where I'm like, it's so outlandish. The disease he has to cure that I'm like, a either get out of his life because he's clearly starting to ask too much of you or just work with him. Like, those are two better choices than this weird in the middle. I care about you, but I can't do this because Spider-Man blood. We don't know what's going to happen because all it does is to set up the idea of why it fails, which it can fail for no other reason than it's a bad plan. But why it fails is the whole like he has to discover the secret train car under the city where his dad's lab was and find out that he's the only person who ever could have been Spider-Man because they have his genetics. And I'm like, that's dumb. But of course, it's not true because then Miles gets fucking bit. Um, so like, 
the secret lab whole the whole secret lab sequence just feels out of place um and it again harry doesn't have the father murder justification which is the true motivation of him ever becoming goblin and so it's like you know and you know how you can easily fix that just have peter work with harry with spider-man's blood and then try and cure norman and inadvertently create the goblin right that way technically speaking it kind of is peter's fault but not really right well again that he doesn't know he doesn't even need to know that he's spider-man until much later right yeah but like i'm saying in this movie all could just blame peter in this movie all it is is that after they defeat electro harry shows up and then peter speaks and he goes harry and it's like you didn't even have a moment where he realized who the fuck he was. Like, shouldn't that be more? All he does is fly in the glider and go, ah, oh, Peter. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Um, it feels like we're back in Transformers again with that German doctor experimenting on uh, Electro. Why did he have to be German? They always have to be German. Um, <sighs> boy. So and so then when Harry frees Electro and they have that moment where it's like, I'm the only one who understands you because I've also been thrown away by Oscorp. It's like you are not the same. Electro, you need some class solidarity, sir. Um, But also Electro then just feels like a goon. Like you spent all this time on Electro to make him like a core villain. And then suddenly he's just standing there with Harry doing all the talking. And I'm like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work at all. It doesn't make any sense. The only way this would work is if it were the Sinister Six with Doc Ock at the head. Right. That's the only way. Uh, and it would have to be anti-Oscorp specifically. Right. Not anti-Spider-Man. Right. Like, it literally, just... Electro has that comic book movie speech where it's like, a world without light, a world without hope, a world without Spider-Man. I don't know when we started ne- thinking we needed the villains to hate Spider-Man. Spider-Man is just the one that stops them. <laughs> Why does no not everyone needs personal vendetta against Spider-Man? Like that's kind of what makes the Sandman dynamic as good as it is. Right. Like I distinctly remember Scorpion hating, like, fucking Jameson in, like, the fucking Spider-Man game. Scorpion didn't even give a shit about Spider-Man. Like, not everyone needs to be like, oh, you cursed wall crawler. Like, fucking Kingpin should just be trying to run his illegitimate business and be like, would you, you fucking punk, god damn it, can you just get off my fucking back? Like, that should be the energy that most villains have towards Spider-Man. Just like, I swear to God, if he says one more fucking joke while I'm just trying to get some money to live in this godforsaken world, just get the fuck out of it. He punched me in the face. God damn it. (laughs) That shit, like, it's not hard. And then the one, the few villains that do have personal stake against Spider-Man get to stand out in that regard. Okay. Uh, The fact that they mask all the badness of the goblin transformation in the basement with strobes is stupid. Um, 
And then again, when Gwen and Peter make up again and they're trying to and she fixes his web shooters, I'm like, yes, that that is what we wanted the entire time. When she finds a way, when she gives him the exact solution he needs and he goes, no, that no, you're right. And she's like, yeah, top of our class. It's like, yeah, hello. This is the best scene they've had the entire series. And then when she's when he leaves her behind and, and webs her to the car and she goes, Peter, and then covers her mouth, I'm like. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a great moment between the two of them. That entire scene is great between the two of them. And then they kill her. Uh, I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole electro does an entire like citywide blackout. And then like, there's two planes. They just have to add in this whole, like, Oh, two planes are flying above New York city and they're going to collide. Cause no one's talking to them. I'm like, it's such bullshit. If planes got any sort of like, I can't communicate with this radio tower, they'd fucking call Newark who probably is on a different power grid and just go, Hey, can we land here? Something is really, something bad is happening. So the suspense of that moment is just so fucking stupid um so yeah uh he beats goblin way too easily like goblin picks up gwen flies up really high peter follows him up there he goes put her down he gets says i'll drop her and then he catches her and then he puts her down and then gwen proceeds to fall to different stories along the way and get webbed up and yada 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 when all peter really has to do is like kick harry and knock him out so i'm like I almost don't even know what the point was besides the fact that it's a goblin who drops Gwen off a building. That's the only reason that he became Green Goblin in this movie was to drop Gwen so she would die. So Emma Stone didn't have to do the role anymore. And her death is fucking brutal. Like the fact that we see the snap is like almost too much. Here's a question. If we agree that you don't want this character to be in the next film, and then you write into the script that this character is going to leave the country at the end of this film, Why do you need to kill this character? They needed to kill her because the comics. And here's where I'm going to say something. Because her death is very important to his life. Here's where I'm going to say something that some people might consider controversial. The comics are not final say. They're really not. I mean, it's been made very clear, yeah. Like... The death of Gwen Stacy happened in a completely different time and context. The death of Robin happened in a very different time and context. Like, so many big comic decisions and storylines happened for specific reasons that had nothing to do with movies years later that ended up adapting them. If you don't want Gwen Stacy... In the movies. Okay, fine, killer, but don't do this whole thing because it really is. 80% of the movie is talking about, like, oh, Gwen is going to go and leave. It's Gwen's dramatic leave. irony for the audience who knows that she's going to die. I, I want to know what the goal is. 
Because I want somebody to say it out loud. It's fridging her because fridging her was an important thing in Spider-Man history. Because I feel like people have gotten to this place in fiction, like consuming and creating fiction, where much like the Game of Thrones problem of, yeah, we used to subvert every now and again, and now we subvert way too fucking much, and it's ruining stories. There used to be a time and a place for killing characters, and now it's become this thing where it feels like creators just want to hurt audience members. And I don't think it's coming from an actual genuine place of, well, this was the best story. No, no. It's coming from a place of you wanted to make us cry. And that's not a good way to write stories. Like, some people, because it's it's that thing of like, you know, I can't speak for everyone, right? Because I don't like horror movies. Some people do. I don't like being scared. Some people do. So I can't speak for everyone. Some people probably like when shit goes sideways and everyone dies at the end. Or when they follow a central character for all this time and then they all, all for them to die at the last hour. But they saved everyone. Like, some people like those type of stories. I personally... There are certain times for those stories, but it should not be the default. And I think sometimes people act as if they're defaults. Like, because for me, I imagine the alternative... If I can ever imagine the alternative and it's more compelling and interesting, I immediately am like, well, then why did you do it? Because I imagine the alternative of Gwen surviving, but then Peter has to let her go. He has to let go of this. He cannot control everything. Her leaving is best for her and keeps her safe. And he just has to suffer. He just has to not have the love of his life around Okay, Spider-Man makes sacrifices like that all the fucking time. This is part of the character. Sounds like a certain very specific other sacrifice that was made. Yes! And you didn't need to kill her for that to happen. (laughs) It's like sometimes not killing a character leads to more interesting shit. But I feel like we have this hair trigger now of just like any excuse... To kill anyone. You love them? They're gonna die! Exactly. Like, fucking Game of Thrones has been such a horrid influence. (laughs) This whole thought experiment of like, what if we made a thing where anyone could die? And yes, I'm I'm obviously aware that Gwen Stacy has a precedent where like, Gwen Stacy dies. But again... If Emma Stone is the best part of your movies, why do you feel like you need to kill her? <laughs> it's just a thing of like, why not just send her away? Because then you can bring her back and have a love triangle, which I don't like and I don't agree with. But I can't deny that if you introduce an interesting Mary Jane character and then bring back Emma Stone, Gwen Stacy, well, shit. I mean, that story kind of writes itself. So, I mean, hell, there were theories about whether or not Black Cat. There's always theories about whether or not Black Cat's going to show up the second a love interest is gone. I mean, Felicia, I was like, oh, so that's Black Cat. 
but it isn't. I think they truly just wrote it as like a, we need to give this girl a name. Wouldn't it be cool if we called her Felicia? God damn it. Because I, like, I now that I know slightly more about shit, now that I've played PS4 Spider-Man and shit, it's, it is kind of a thing of like, it would have been nice to see Jen so do Black Cat. I mean, I've never understood the pairing Peter with Black Cat. I, I That's never been a thing I really understood. But again, if you send Gwen Stacy away and then in the meantime have a Black Cat thing, okay, then that makes sense. Because, I mean, sometimes you don't always want to go immediately to Mary Jane. That's fine. There's no shortage of Mary... Of, Peter Parker girlfriends. Good lord. So yeah, and then the end of the movie, it's one of those things where it's like the montage leading up to the final scene is just noise. It's just, oh, car explodes. Oh, somebody's running. Blah, blah, blah. And then finally you get the scene where the kid runs out. And I'm like, this is a good, again, once again, a good Spider-Man scene because of like New York and him deal dealing with pain on the internal side and we can tell that he's dealing with it but he's still got to come in and save the day and it's a part of who he is so again the movie ends on a high note of this is a good peter Parker. this is a good spider-man scene but it's just goddamn everything else boy i think we just got to wrap listen we have so much more spider-man to talk this month that honestly to me i feel like to sit here and linger on these movies any longer is is not worth our time Oh, God. So, look, not to put any shade on Andrew Garfield, he just got dealt a really shitty franchise. Yep. And honestly, a not great interpretation of Spider-Man. And what's crazy is that people after No Way Home were like, give Andrew a movie back. If Sony really wants to do their own thing, now they have an opportunity that makes sense. And I'm kind of like, not really. We don't need to go back to Amazing Spider-Man. For the love of God, take Spider-Man away from these fools. <laughs> they don't. They have shown over and over again. They do not know how to do Spider-Man. Please stop advocating for more. <laughs> I hate it. God. Sony Pictures Animation is not Sony. <laughs> They're different entities that make different decisions <laughs> god damn uh but i i'm it's it'll be interesting to see what they potential what disney potentially does with freshman year yeah i forgot about that if they're gonna do harry because i think they should uh i like the theory better of meeting harry in college yeah well i assume freshman year was college no 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 it's a flashback oh for fuck's sake yeah. Why? Uh, content mill. But this is the content mill. Why go backwards when you just reboot? It's not. It's literally a miniseries. I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, apparently I've been Harry Osborne, so. Uh, Lord, that. Oh, that pisses me off so bad. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Uh, See you uh, later for more Spider-Month. Spider-Month. dashed. We're not going to make it through Spider-Month. TJ will kill me now. 
Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I think you're too attached. I think we can't do this anymore. Bye, everybody. <laughs>